most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. We must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, March 1st, 2022, the 405th day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Today is the day where the fake president will wander on over to the U.S. Capitol and give a fake State of the Union and The television news will have all of the pomp and circumstance, assuming they can break away from their breathless coverage of the Ukraine situation. The adventures of the comedic actor will have to take a back seat for an hour and a half or two hours while the fake president pretends that America is an entirely different country than it is and that the world is also Nothing like what you see or experience in your own life. It is an entirely different place where the global world order is making everyone's lives better. According to studies, we will get a series of arguments based on falsified statistics in studies invented from absolutely nothing by the bureaucratic establishment. I'm sure we'll hear how the CDC understands that the vaccine is still the best way to keep you safe from COVID, despite the fact that analyses are out showing that your risk of death from the vaccine is actually greater than your risk of death from COVID for all age groups under 80 years old. Well, that's crazy, isn't it? It's too bad we didn't know that before they started trying to force needles into the arms of the nation's children or into the arms of poor people in exchange for $50 so they can eat for another week. But of course, we did know those things. And we had to know those things despite the statistics and despite having the real world proof that we now have with the vaccine, because we knew what the death rate from COVID was. One out of a thousand people who contract the coronavirus might die. Almost all of them in that older age group, 70, 75, 80 plus. And almost all of them with other significant factors contributing to their death, an average of four comorbidities among all COVID deaths. And of course, we know that many COVID deaths were actually medical malpractice deaths. As people got their positive tests, They were hospitalized and given remdesivir. And when the remdesivir began 
to destroy their bodies. They were put on ventilators, denied any chance at other treatment, separated from their families and allowed to die peacefully in the hospital. But that one form of unnecessary death, whether it was intentional or simply from neglect, that wasn't enough. So what they needed to do was get those shots in those arms. And they did it. Turns out the shots are more dangerous than the disease that they're meant to cure, but don't in any way cure. And that's been obvious for a long time, too. But it's very important that everyone gets them, because if everyone gets them, then we'll get herd immunity. Of course, you can't get herd immunity if it doesn't keep you from being infected with the disease or transmitting the disease. But at least it's a premise that a bunch of people will run around saying, oh, we're, we actually have to save everyone and this is how we do it. But you didn't save everyone. You sure didn't save yourself. In fact, you have increased your chances of dying by getting the vaccine. Certainly more than you were risking death from COVID. But now you also have the long-term consequences and we're learning about those more every day. Did they put little pieces of cancer in the spike protein back in the lab? Yep, they did. AIDS? Yeah. Does the vaccine destroy your immune system? Sure does. Does it matter if that's AIDS, how you used to think of it? Not at all. Can it cause sterility? Absolutely. There was a story in the news yesterday about a five-year-old girl who suffered, and it's kind of awful to even have to say this, a vaginal hemorrhage, a five-year-old, 10 days after getting the shot. Imagine how she'll feel about her parents for the rest of her life. We certainly don't know what the long-term effects will be, but does anyone think that they're good? <laughs> but you were right to just brush off all those concerns about fertility that people were bringing up a year ago, myself included, because it was right there in the literature. You were right. It was a conspiracy theory then, and it's probably just extremely rare. So what happened to that small five-year-old girl? Well, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet, right, commies? You're getting herd immunity for everyone, except you're not. You're just costing people their jobs and their lives and their livelihoods. But you don't care because you follow the rules. And if everybody just followed the rules, well, everything would be so much better. And we should be clear about one thing. And that's that our culture did this to that girl through her parents. And her parents are absolutely to blame. Don't get me wrong. But the culture encouraged this. And every vaccine supporter encouraged this. They can run around all day long saying that the unvaccinated are the source of spread and transmission. There's no data that proves that anywhere at all. In fact, the vaccinated are far more likely to get sick and get sicker than the unvaccinated. So it's not the unvaccinated causing that problem, but all those people, all the vaccine supporters are more than happy to run around saying that the unvaccinated by virtue of the fact that is not supported by data at all are responsible for other people's deaths. I played a clip of Bill Gates saying it on stage just a week or two ago. But there's no way that any unvaccinated person is responsible for anyone else's death. 
You cannot be responsible for something by declining to join a medical experiment. And that is what it is. On the other hand, vaccine supporters have coerced and forced millions and millions of people around the world to take part in a dangerous and deadly medical experiment with zero upside benefit. Let's just make sure where all of this stands. Yes, vaccine injured people who chose to get the shot themselves are responsible for their own health problems. Now, they made a bad decision based on bad information or they succumbed to a false narrative and a false incentive structure. There's no doubt about that. But Anthony Fauci and all the people around him, the pharmaceutical companies, the media companies, the big tech companies, and all of the child brained communists left in this country supporting that vaccine, all of it is on all of you. The information was available and you chose to ignore it because you were standing up for your team. There's no way that your team could be wrong. You have all the smart people. But now even the Democrats are coming to the understanding that all of this COVID nonsense has been nonsense and that not only do people not believe them anymore, but people are starting to awaken to the fact that this is happening because of one party and their complicit bad actors in the Republican Party, but that the restrictions do not need to exist and they're being held in place by corrupt officials, primarily in the Democrat Communist Party. And a Democrat political consultancy firm called Impact Research sent a memo to Democrats within the past few days that leaked online. And Impact Research is a political campaign arm of the Democrat Party, and they do polling and data tracking and ad testing and strategy, all of the real numbers-based stuff it takes to influence and manipulate Democrat voters. And they're Joe Biden's special political consulting firm. So they put out this memo on February 24th about COVID strategy. And here it is. After two years that necessitated lockdowns, travel bans, school closures, mask mandates, and nearly a million deaths, nearly every American finally has the tools to protect themselves from this virus. Now, I'm going to stop right there, okay? The first sentence, they claim that the virus necessitated lockdowns. Lockdowns didn't work. They didn't do anything to the virus. They didn't do anything to stop the virus. They only destroyed economies and lives. The lockdowns didn't work at all. And there was no strategy by which they could work from the beginning. And the science knew that. So nothing actually necessitated lockdowns. Nothing necessitated school closures. Nothing necessitated mask mandates and nothing, absolutely nothing necessitated nearly a million deaths. Those were all positive, proactive choices made by the Democrat Communist Party, Republican members of the global communist movement and our public health community, which are basically the people that we task with building bio labs all over the world and then creating 
bioweapons as they do in Ukraine and we're finding out Taiwan and a whole lot of other places. But the fact checkers on the news will say that's just a conspiracy. You see, yes, we, you know, the U.S. does fund all those bio labs, but what we were actually doing, we put all that money in there over in the bio labs in Ukraine to make them safer. Don't you understand? We were actually doing Vladimir Putin a favor by ensuring that there would be greater safety measures while we were creating brand new bioweapons just on the other side of his border. And they are actually writing that in in fact checks right now that these were not bioweapons research labs. They were merely studying viruses and animals and we're doing it to keep the world safe. We're designing vaccines for future diseases that might emerge in the world, you know, if there are political problems that we can't deal with in any other way. But sure, all the deaths were necessitated. It's time for Democrats to take credit for ending the COVID crisis phase of the COVID war. Point to important victories like vaccine distribution and providing economic stability to Americans and fully enter the rebuilding phase that comes after any war. Wow. This is the messaging that you are going to hear Democrats repeating. This is their strategy. This is the best they can do. I mean, this is just completely dishonest to any thinking person. But this is what the Democrats are going to go out and tell all the child brains. And by the way, a bunch of Republican communists are going to go out and tell the remaining Republican child brains the exact same thing. But honestly, the Democrats are going to take credit for providing economic stability to Americans. Their solutions to COVID and their theft of the 2020 elections has decimated American economic stability. These people are deranged. Okay, they are literally telling you that they are going to try to convince the country of the existence of a reality that simply does not exist. And virtually everybody understands that. Below, we lay out some strategic thoughts for Democrats positioning themselves on COVID-19 after nearly two years of the pandemic. Probably stop calling it a pandemic now, shouldn't you? Declare the crisis phase of COVID over and push for feeling and acting more normal. Thanks to Democrats, we are nowhere near where we were two years ago or even one year ago. Democrats have a tremendous opportunity to claim an incredible historic success. They vaccinated hundreds of millions of people, prevented the economy from going into freefall, kept small businesses from going under, and got people back to work safely. This is what they're going to run on. And I'd imagine we're going to hear quite a bit of this in the fake president's fake State of the Union tonight. Recognize that people are worn out and feeling real harm from the years-long restrictions, and take their side. Okay, well, hold on for just a second, right? You just said that the Democrats have saved everybody by vaccinating hundreds of millions of people, preventing the economy from going into freefall, which, by the way, there was no indication of economic freefall. 
We were on an economic rebound that the Democrats coming into office illegitimately completely halted. And of course, these very same COVID policies were what hurt the economy in the first place, especially lockdowns and mandates. And they also said they kept small businesses from going under and got people back to work safely. Well, if all the news is so positive, then what real harm did they experience? What real harm are you there to be understanding about? And what does it mean to take their side? It seems what they actually mean is if you're talking to a voter that says, hey, XYZ really destroyed my life. Thank you very much, Democrat politician, for supporting XYZ the whole time. Well, what does it mean to take their side? Oh, you're going to pretend you're on their side and figure out a crafty way to blame all those things on someone else. That's not Democrat. Got it. Most Americans have personally moved out of crisis mode. Even though there's still a crisis, all those crazy Americans just doing what they want. Twice as many voters are now more concerned about COVID's effect on the economy than about someone in their family or someone they know becoming infected with coronavirus. And it's 49% to 24%. Only one quarter of the country is concerned about them or someone they know becoming infected with the coronavirus. Guess which 24% that is. That's the same 24% of people who think that Joe Biden is legitimate and that life under the fake administration is somehow acceptable or even more extraordinarily improved. And you can kind of look at polling like this across a range of issues when you see the same numbers popping up the entire time. The most likely conclusion is that it is the very same group of clueless child brains who still accept the whole thing. It's like the one package. They get given the selection of slogans. They accept all the slogans. They repeat all the slogans. They remain committed to those slogans because to go against the slogans would be to shed their identity entirely. But all of those people are perfectly aligned about basically everything. How is that? And of course, you know how it is. They pay attention only to the mainstream media. They are addicted to the central narrative and they cannot leave the party of false decorum. Two thirds of parents and 80% of teachers say the pandemic caused learning loss. 80% of teachers, 80% of teachers are communists. And even they know, actually, probably 100% of teachers are communists these days. And no offense to the profession of teaching, or if you're a teacher who acts like a professional about the profession of teaching, but that is not where we are in this country anymore. You would be an outlier. Voters are overwhelmingly more worried about learning loss than kids getting COVID. Well, why would it have ever been another way? They must have been misled because a child's chance of dying from COVID is like one in a million after getting it. And all of those kids who did die from COVID died with COVID with significant other comorbidities, significant childhood diseases, 
and they were called COVID deaths so that they could continue to support the narrative that kids could get really sick and die, but they can't. And now parents have figured that out. But the Democrats, they just want to roll with the punches. Oh, they understand that the parents have figured this out now. Okay, we'll go a little softer on it. Yeah, they're probably going to forgive you for the two years of hell that you've put their kids through. The destruction of an entire generation of American children at their hands. Yeah, just give them another story. They'll listen. Six in 10 Americans describe themselves as worn out by the pandemic. The more we talk about the threat of COVID and onerously restrict people's lives because of it, the more we turn them against us and show them we're out of touch with their daily realities. The funny thing about this memo is that the Democrats now understand that they completely own every little bit of this. And they are still, despite all of that, they are still so compromised by the pharma companies that they are planning to emphasize the distribution of the vaccine. That is amazing. They know they're tied to all of the problems related to COVID. And they're like, yeah, but I just can't quit you. Acknowledge COVID still exists and likely will for a long time. Yes, it's better. Sure, it's better. I mean, if we didn't talk about it all the time, Absolutely no one in the world would even understand that it existed, but we can say it's better, but you still have to be scared, but it's better, but still be scared and still listen to us. Like we might one day tell you it's worse. And then we're going to need you on the front lines, following the rules again, exactly as we say, and also trying to shame and bully your neighbors into following the rules as well. Because if people don't listen to us, well, we're just going to have a really hard time. And then we might make your lives worse again. We are not advising Democrats talk like the Republicans that have largely ignored the pandemic, even pre-vaccine. Declaring a return to the new normalcy does not mean ignoring that people will continue to get it, that we shouldn't be responsible or that we should turn our backs on the medical community that is treating those sick and developing the therapeutics that will save lives. Well... I think we all kind of know what's going on there, huh? We had therapeutics. We had hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin. We had all sorts of vitamins. We had all sorts of supplements. You could have told people to spend some time outside in the sun because D3 is such a major factor in preventing and treating COVID, recovering quickly from COVID. Can't advise them of that, though, because we need them to stay indoors. And you could have told people, hey, it might be a good idea to start eating healthy and losing some weight. But it's harder to have a continually declining population as desired when you're also telling people these very secret ways to keep themselves healthy and encouraging it. Instead, it means recognizing that the threat of COVID is no longer what it was even a year ago and therefore should not be treated as such. Shutdowns, masks, and lockdowns were meant to save lives when there was not yet a vaccine that could do that. Oh, so then why have we been still doing them for the last year? Why did the White House just end their federal mask mandate yesterday in advance of the State of the Union? They were just following the science? Hey, how come their polling company 
says that the reason for shutdowns, masks and lockdowns were to save lives, which none of them did when there was not yet a vaccine, which has not been the case now for 15 months. So what were the last 15 months of restrictions for? Well, they're not going to tell you that because they want you to believe in their world. Voters know we now have the tools in the toolkit to be responsible in combating and living with COVID vaccines and boosters to minimize illness and masks and social distancing around vulnerable groups. But if you're like a really kind, good hearted person who respects your fellow humans, you'll wear a mask all the time because everyone is vulnerable and you don't know when a person who you think might not be vulnerable actually is or when they might go around another vulnerable person. It's better to just mask up. Better safe than sorry. Don't set zero COVID as the victory condition. Oh, such brilliance. Could you imagine paying a company to tell you this stuff? These people are honestly, I know I repeated a lot. Great example. Incompetence and narcissism. They all think this is brilliant, acceptable strategic advice. This is one giant set of slogans. This is like a COVID slogan handbook for communist child brains in political office. Americans also don't think victory is COVID zero. They think the virus is here to stay and 83% say the pandemic will be over when it's a mild illness like the flu rather than COVID being completely gone. And 55% prefer that COVID should be treated as an endemic disease. And that's what most Americans are dealing with. A disease with fatality rates like the flu. Oh, that's crazy. Look at what they just admitted. Well, we've had the flu with absolutely no mitigation, no masking, no required shots, no anything for a generation, for many generations. Never did a thing. And now they can admit that COVID has the same death rate. Isn't that incredible? I cannot even tell you how much heat I got in the spring and summer of 2020 when pointing directly to data and saying, this disease may not be the flu, but it's got the same death rate as the flu, and we don't care about the flu at all. So they're saying that COVID has the same death rate as the flu because most of us took the personal responsibility to protect ourselves and our families by getting vaccinated. You got that? You got to remember, you got to remember, every time you are communicating with child-brained communists, you have to give them the ability and the reasons to pat themselves on the back and feel self-righteous. They need to know that the nothing they are doing is actually saving everybody, right? When they ask for like one of those awful little cardboard straws rather than a plastic straw that nothing they're doing. They believe that that is helping them save the planet from the sun. All right. You got to understand they really, really believe that Americans also assume they will get COVID 77% agree that it is inevitable that most people in the U S will eventually get COVID-19. And 61% of Americans who have never tested positive think they are likely to be infected over the next year. And thanks to the work Democrats have done over the past year, despite believing contracting COVID is inevitable, 
Most Americans are no longer fearful. The Democrats are going to take responsibility for people no longer fearing the very deadly pandemic. Stop talking about restrictions and the unknown future ahead. If we focus on how bad things still are and how much worse they could get, we set Democrats up as failures, unable to navigate us through this. And everybody knows they're great. When 99% of Americans can get vaccinated, we cause more harm than we prevent with voters by going into our third year talking about restrictions. And if Democrats continue to hold a posture that prioritizes COVID precautions over learning how to live in a world where COVID exists but does not dominate, they risk paying dearly for it in November. So you got that? This right here is the science changing. So up in Wisconsin today, and this is why the podcast is a little late, I was watching the hearing and it stretched on for like two and a half hours. But the special counsel investigating Wisconsin's 2020 election, former Supreme Court Justice Michael Gableman, presented more of his reporting to the Wisconsin Assembly's Committee on Campaigns and Elections, and he specifically called for the decertification of the 2020 election. And a portion of his report addresses that. I may talk about that tomorrow and go through that a little bit, but it's very similar in structure to the arguments that Tim Ramthan's report a few weeks ago was making, that it was entirely possible to decertify the election. It required an act of the state legislature, but that they could do it. And he's saying that the evidence supports them doing it. He also called for the disbanding of the Wisconsin Elections Commission and the removal for cause of a woman named Megan Wolf, who heads the Wisconsin Elections Commission. And he talked primarily about the Mark Zuckerberg money that was fed into the elections in Wisconsin and all around the country, specifically designed to increase vote totals for Democrats under the guise of providing funding to make elections safe from COVID. And Gableman noted that as far as he can tell, none of the money was spent to make elections safe from COVID. Not that there was any need for that in the first place, but they distributed the money to people with specific instructions about what they were to do and what results they were supposed to achieve for the Mark Zuckerberg funded organizations involved. One of those being the Center for Election Innovation and Research headed up by former Obama campaign manager, David Pluff, who I have mentioned many times before. He wrote a book that was like the guide to beating Donald Trump in 2020. And I often mention when discussing that book that he thought Democrats needed 65 to 70 million votes to win the election over Donald Trump. That was their top end goal, 70 million, because they didn't think that Trump would get more than last time. Of course, he got 12 million more than last time. So the Democrats had to fire up the machine to a degree that would expose it to everybody and just try to make do with the 81 million real legal American votes that surely got cast for Joe Biden. And the Democrats on the committee in the question portion of the hearing 
basically tried to attack Gableman's character, suggest that he was doing this out of Trump support or that he did not have the legal mandate to do what he's doing, even though he does. They're trying to argue that his investigation actually ended at the end of December last year. And so it cannot be ongoing. And I guess we'll find that out. But one really interesting moment for me of that hearing is something that I have not heard mentioned basically anywhere besides my own podcast. And one of the members, Donna Rosar, asked Justice Gableman what it would mean to decertify for the rest of the people serving in Wisconsin public office. And that question remains open. But this is the first person who has finally understood the important connection here that if the elections were subject to this level of fraud, there is no way to assume or expect that any of the people currently serving are doing so legally. And that is one of the greatest problems we have right now. And that's why it's so important that the public understand these issues and communicate about these issues and communicate this part of it to the people who are doing the work. Because those people, if they doubt their own legitimacy, are not going to want to look further into the election. And you have to assume that that is one of the serious problems in all of this all around the country. All these people in power right now that are preventing election fraud investigations and audits and decertifications from going forward, it is safe to assume that they are worried about their own legitimacy. So what's happening in Wisconsin is definitely something to keep an eye on. They may well decertify first. It's coming one way or another somewhere in this country. Because the proof of fraud at this point is obvious and overwhelming. And none of those Democrats on the panel addressed any of the substantive issues whatsoever. They spent their time trying to get their narrative out in the form of a question that was also designed to make people question Justice Gableman's integrity. And honestly, watching this guy, his integrity seems pretty well intact. Now, I want to talk about the evil twin versus the good twin. Okay, so. On the episode I did with Cash Patel a few weeks ago, I proposed this idea to him in the context of the deep state as it exists in America and as it might exist in other countries around the world, because I think that that's something we don't often talk about. It's not just a deep state in America, though it certainly is here and it has infiltrated fully across the country from our federal government bureaucracy to the state governments, to local governments and everywhere else that people like George Soros have influence. But it's not simply a matter only of stolen elections or specific candidates being pushed into office to achieve specific goals for the global communist agenda. It is also a result of career bureaucrats being taught that this is just the way this is done. This is just the way this is done. And it keeps corrupt systems in place decade after decade, generation after generation, because the career bureaucrats stay in office well beyond the point 
where they can even pretend to be serving the people. They are then only serving the bureaucracy. And that is what perpetuates the problem. And so I presented it in this way, like the deep state in some way seems like the evil twin of America, right? You've got the good twin and the evil twin. The good twin is the America we all want to believe that we live in. The good twin was the America designed by the founders based on human liberty and self-governance and designed around the idea that the citizens would take an active role in participating in their government or at the very least informing themselves about what's going on rather than falling into complacency and apathy and just voting for a candidate because there is a D or an R next to that candidate's name. And I don't know if you all have been friends with or known well any sets of twins who look and in some ways act so much alike that it's hard to tell them apart until you really get to know both of them. But I have, and it's still hard. (laughs) That's how much these twins look alike and are alike. I knew a few sets in Los Angeles. And so what you do when you have such similar twins is you try to spot differences or manners of behaving or whatever. You try to find these few little things that you can focus on as identifiers to know who's who. Because two people who look alike and act alike and sound alike and dress alike are very hard to distinguish. It kind of does a whole trick on your brain. And so I think that in America, we kind of have the good twin and the evil twin, the evil twin being the deep state and those people representing the global communist agenda. So America's good twin, you can think of that as like what we traditionally think of all the good qualities of America, right? Really great guy. You know, he's going to be there for you. Very loyal, stable in some way, just saving people's lives left and right maybe independently wealthy, started his own business, did really well, takes care of people, got a live and let live attitude. Maybe sometimes he's a little boastful, a little brash, tells an off-color joke that very sensitive people don't like, but also funny, you know, funny, very entertaining. I don't think anybody can deny America's good twin of that. Always coming up with new ideas and innovations, always going big. Kind of the guy every woman wants and every man wants to be him, right? But then you got the evil twin. And the evil twin basically has the opposite of all those good qualities. They look the same, but the money and power kind of came from an inheritance or some slightly shady deals. And maybe he has a job that requires some work, or maybe he's just coasting doesn't really matter. Kind of just had everything laid out for him. Never worked an honest day in his life. Some people might call that privilege. Lies constantly. Everything in life is transactional. Relationships, friendships. It all has to be for gain at some point. And that gain, of course, being social capital and social status. 
But he's also smart enough to know that his public image matters a lot. So he's got all this PR campaign. Everybody's always talking about how great a guy he is. And yeah, you know, people can realize that the other twin brother is kind of good sometimes. But why not just pretend to have that person's good qualities and do whatever I want? And then I've got this PR machine that will just tell everybody that I was the cause of all the good stuff the entire time. That's what the evil twin does. And of course, the PR agency that he uses is all of mainstream media, all of big tech, the entire censorship regime. Everything exists to protect the image of the evil twin. And the evil twin can claim all the qualities of the good twin whenever the evil twin wants. And the evil twin gets to achieve full power when everyone finally agrees that the evil twin is actually the good twin. The switcheroo happens. They just trade qualities in terms of public perception. And then the evil twin gets to be the good twin. And that has never been better represented than by Barack Obama when he was in office. Everything he did was done to advance the global communist agenda. And it turns out some great people doing research on this online right now and all the credit to them. But it turns out that when Obama was just a lowly senator back in 2005, he took a trip with Republican communist Dick Luger to Ukraine to check on what was happening with their bio labs. And these were the sorts of things that mainstream media used to report and that we are able to archive on the internet so that when they take them down, we can still have them. But Obama used big tech and the media to influence public opinion about the job he was doing and make it seem like the job he was doing was so great that there was no way anyone could ever want anything other than what Barack Obama was offering. It was a bright new future. We were Moving out into the world, the global enterprise is in full bloom. And so I want to propose to you the idea that this good twin versus evil twin dynamic exists in all the countries throughout the world, or I should say almost all the countries throughout the world. Someone may be able to bring up wonderful counterpoints and they may well be right. So I'm going to say almost all countries around the world. But I have a pretty safe feeling from the examples I do know about and from the examples, honestly, we all know about that the element of the global communist agenda exists in every country around the world and even in countries that are consumed by and enthralled to the global communist agenda around the world, like Canada, for instance still have some semblance of the good twin around and available and in power in places, right? Canada has not had a Donald Trump or a Jair Bolsonaro, someone who cares about sovereignty and nationalism. Canada hasn't had any of those people. They've just been on this decline to pure global communism. And of course, they have... Fidel Castro's bastard son installed as prime minister and the granddaughter of an actual Nazi, Christia Freeland, installed as deputy prime minister. 
And so if we consider the characteristics of the good twin and the evil twin, as they might be assigned to political movements, well, the good twin would be based on human liberty and self-governance as our founders designed, as humans have longed for for millennia, but achieved in very rare instances, one of those being in the United States of America, which is what has made this country the most powerful country in the history of the world, though perhaps not now, and certainly not under the fake leadership of an illegitimate communist regime. But the good twin primarily cares about personal and national sovereignty, human freedom, and the ability for humans to decide what is right for them and then do that collectively in a way that represents all their voices when decisions need to be made about culture and society. And of course, all of that implies free markets because That is how people vote and speak in their choices. And the opposite of that, of course, is a closed and controlled system like communism. You don't have free markets, so the people's voice and their desires cannot even be heard by the markets. Companies are destroyed or kept afloat and made successful based on whether or not they are willing to be complicit with the global communist order. And you can see this very clearly in China, where the Chinese Communist Party does determine the winners and losers in the corporate world as anywhere and everywhere else. And those companies and the people running them are all allowed to remain in good standing so long as they do not defy the state. And the problem with this evil twin is that they want all the power that could be gained through a perfectly lived and perfectly operated life or through a perfectly run company of an efficiently run company. You know what I mean? The actual markers for success, the things that would make a person or a company successful rather than embodying those things. You replace all of those things with a different set of priorities and then use power to influence the outcome. That is what the communist system is designed to do. And that is the system being implemented around the world by people like Klaus Schwab and George Soros and Justin Trudeau and the fake administration in America. And so a couple of years, I remember Specifically, because I had a conversation with a Democrat voting friend of mine, and I said, the media is viewing everything through the lens of whether or not it helps Donald Trump. If it helps him, then they either ignore it or lie about it to show that it doesn't help him. If it hurts him, they go all in. And that was obvious a couple weeks into COVID, if not long before. And I understand it was obvious long before. But once your movement and once all the initiatives that you're trying to put in place can only be achieved through dishonesty about what the programs are and censorship, because no one would ever agree with how bad the ideas actually are, then you only have two places to go. You either collapse completely and are destroyed or you eventually use power to overwhelm the system because you realize if you are censoring implicitly that your ideas do not have the power to win. 
But what the media was doing was making it so that the only lens anyone would look through when trying to determine what's right or wrong, what's good or bad, what is the reality of all these events? The lens they looked through was whether it helped or hurt Donald Trump. Everything was looked at on one level, only two outcomes, good or bad, hurts Trump, helps Trump. That's it. And that's an absolutely ridiculous standard to use when you are trying to convince the public that you are giving them a true representation and an objective representation of what the world is like. It's so transparent. But the other problem is it's only on one level. You should look at things through a bunch of different lenses to try to understand what it might mean if this is actually X instead of Y. So when I look at situations in the world now, and I've looked at a whole bunch of them in terms of the color revolutions around the world and the different countries where George Soros and his co-conspirators have staged color revolutions. And you can see pretty clearly that what they are trying to do is remove all nationalistic leaders around the world who value the sovereignty of their nations and the history of their nations. You can tell who these people are because the media hates them more than everyone else, right? Bolsonaro in Brazil, Viktor Orban in Hungary, and of course, Vladimir Putin. So when you look at these people, we can't fully know their history unless you're a historian, and most of us are not. So we're always learning, always open to a deeper understanding based on historical context. But that's not a reason to give up, right? Admitting that we can't fully know something is not a reason to believe that that thing is unknowable or that it's not worth knowing. These things actually are worth knowing. And so my suggestion in looking at this Ukraine and Russia situation is to try to pass all the elements of what you're seeing through the lens of the good twin and the evil twin, right? We got Vladimir Putin. Now, we know Vladimir Putin had some involvement in the World Economic Forum at some point. Donald Trump has spoken there twice. It is a thing world leaders go and do. And it's worth noting that in the last two days, the World Economic Forum has removed the Vladimir Putin page from their website. And that, of course, can be taken in multiple ways. But the hero and comedic actor Volodymyr Zelensky is also involved with the World Economic Forum and spoke there on January 22nd, 2020, right as COVID was starting. So we know that pretty much every world leader has some sort of tie to the World Economic Forum. And I mention this because a lot of people have been saying, well, Vladimir Putin's part of the World Economic Forum. And that's a reasonable point to bring up. It's information among other information. It's certainly relevant information, which means it's worth keeping in your head and considering. Now, Vladimir Putin's history does not suggest, nothing about his history suggests, that he is a supporter of the global communist world order. He speaks very poorly of communists and he speaks very poorly of Nazis. And you might think, well, okay, the Nazi thing, but that's, you know, well, George Soros helped pile Jews onto the trains and admits it on 60 Minutes back in World War II. So is he a Nazi? 
I mean, that's at least a little worse than Justin Trudeau wearing blackface, isn't it? Putin has also kicked various Soros elements out of Russia. Soros was also kicked out of Belarus, and that didn't stop him from trying to stage a color revolution there not too many years ago. And Lukashenko and Putin are clearly allies. So if you want to suggest that Putin is somehow doing the bidding of the global communist agenda, the World Economic Forum, if you want to make that connection, you should have something to point to that would suggest that Vladimir Putin is working for the benefit of the global communist world order. And it sure doesn't seem that way. Okay, his history doesn't imply it. His actions don't imply it. And his alliances don't imply it. His stated desires are specifically against it. Could he be lying? Okay, sure, he could. And I suppose you have to leave room for the outside possibility that this is all some grand trick that will actually take away the world's chance at large of resisting the global communist world order as imposed by the World Economic Forum in league with politicians of countries all across this world. That's possible. But there's no good reason, as far as I'm concerned, to believe that that's the case when you look at Putin's history. Does Putin want to be on the side of the good twin or the evil twin? I'm not saying Vladimir Putin's a good guy. I don't have to do that. Although, to be honest, and everyone should be honest about that, the reason that so many people believe that Vladimir Putin is a terrible guy is because our media has told us that for our entire lives. If you have researched Vladimir Putin yourself, you have some familial experience, or you are Russian, that does not apply to you. You are more than welcome to have your own opinion. In fact, everybody's more than welcome to have their own opinion, but we should be honest about what created that opinion in us, right? And if we determine that what has created that opinion is our culture as dominated by the media only there to serve the global communist agenda, then we might be well served by rejecting that opinion, starting back at zero and seeing where the actual information leads us. And that is what I try to do in all of these cases. Because as I said, I am not a Russian historian. I don't have a deep knowledge of Russian history, but what I do know is what I have been told about Russia and what I have been led to believe about Russia and its leaders. The more you watch of what Vladimir Putin does and says, the less the picture the media has painted over the last three decades maps onto reality. And it's important to take note of that because again, what you're seeing on television, what you get through big tech and through the legacy media is what they want you to believe. Okay. The media, the mainstream media, big tech, their counterparts, all of it, right? The media. That's how I'm using it. That's how I always use it. Just to be clear. The media is honest about one and only one thing. All right. They will always tell you in complete honesty what it is they want you to believe. Okay. They're not telling you the truth. They're not telling you what's really happening in the world, but they are being 100% honest in telling you what they want you to believe. So once you understand that, then watching the mainstream media doesn't become some 
futile effort to pointlessly mislead yourself about important issues, it becomes a question of why do they want me to believe this? Okay. What are they trying to achieve by manufacturing this consent to borrow a phrase from the communist Noam Chomsky? So if you take that and apply it to Putin and you say, what is it that the media wants me to believe about Vladimir Putin? Well, speaking for the last few decades up till now, Putin is a ruthless KGB agent with a cold, dark soul or no soul at all, according to Joe Biden. And what he calls defending Russian interests is actually just a madman attacking everyone else because Vladimir Putin is not playing by the rules. So the question I would then ask is, in terms of the evil twin and the good twin, if the media is constantly trying to tell me that this man is really, really bad, why are they doing that? Well, in relation to the success and progression of the global communist order, they must then view Vladimir Putin as a threat. All right. Now, again, it could all be an elaborate ruse, right? Just meant to create conflict where there is none so that people will believe your story. But that's not generally how they operate at all. And it never has been. I'm not even sure somebody could make a good case where they have seen that happen. In every case I'm aware of, they tell you what they want you to believe and they tell you which candidates are the ones you should believe in and support. And then you can see those candidates actively working to implement the global communist agenda in their own countries. And Justin Trudeau would be a perfect example. The World Economic Forum does not hide the existence of Justin Trudeau. They don't try to tell the world that Justin Trudeau is an evil dictator, even though he is. They try to make him a rock star, a celebrity like Obama. They want him to be young and hip and cool. That's what they're trying to sell you with Emmanuel Macron and Jacinda Ardern in New Zealand. I can't think of a single instance where the World Economic Forum and the global communist power structure is afraid to support one of their own candidates. I mean, what they ultimately want is total cultural consent to be able to implement their entire program. Okay. Yes, they are all about acquiring power. Sure. But if you gave them a choice, would you prefer that everybody took the vaccine or that this huge group of people resisted to it? Of course, they would tell you that they just want everybody to take it. Their lives are made infinitely easier if they know the public is compliant everywhere they are trying to implement their agenda. So why in the world, if somebody is in the position of power that Vladimir Putin is in, which is a very stable, seemingly position of power, and he was on their side, well, why wouldn't he be speaking in favor of the global communist agenda? Why wouldn't he be opening his borders to allow the global communists to operate within Russia? Why do the global communists not have biolabs in Russia, but do have biolabs right near Russia's borders? Why does Vladimir Putin speak in favor of religion and against the gender agenda? And so it seems to me that if you are going to argue 
that Vladimir Putin represents the evil twin of Russia, then shouldn't there be some real world evidence that his actions in some way aid their cause? They seem to be and seem to historically be in exact opposition to the global communist order. So to sell me that Vladimir Putin is in league with the global communists, I don't buy it. All right. It would be almost as hard as convincing me that Donald Trump is in league with the global communist world order. And of course, there are some people who make those arguments because his campaign took this or that donation and they don't understand how campaign donations work or they don't understand that Donald Trump being a multi-billionaire is probably not going to have huge opinions changed about a new $500,000 or $2 million while at the same time giving away his entire presidential salary just doesn't make sense. Or people will say that he did Operation Warp Speed on the behalf of the global communist agenda and the pharma companies, not understanding what the actual plan would have been had Donald Trump not gotten the vaccine out years of lockdowns. But we just don't even have to imagine what that world will be since that world didn't happen. And of course, that world didn't happen because Donald Trump is there. And of course, nothing in Donald Trump's history. We have three or four decades of statements from Donald Trump on television, on Oprah, on Larry King, talking about what he thought America's place in the world should be. And he's remained consistent on that throughout his life. And of course, he also took plenty of actions as president to harm the global communist agenda. And the fact that he was president at all seems to be maybe the only thing that actually blocked the global communist agenda. So I'm not quite as confident about Vladimir Putin as I am about Donald Trump, obviously, but I'm pretty confident. So then let's take the case of Ukrainian president, the comedic actor, Volodymyr Zelensky. Okay. He too has involvement with the World Economic Forum. What do we know about Zelensky's history? What do we know about his past? What actions can we judge to see if he's serving the evil twin or if he represents the good twin in Ukraine? And I would suggest right now, at least for myself, I can't answer that question. There are people who adamantly believe that Vladimir Zelensky is working with the West, with the NATO allies, with the global communist agenda. And they can make a very good case for that because all the stuff he's doing outwardly that is being echoed by the media seems to be in direct opposition to Vladimir Putin. He seems to be protecting in some way the global communist state as it exists in Ukraine. And there's an article on the World Economic Forum's website, a Q&A. They asked themselves questions and then provided the answers, as you might expect from incompetent narcissists and communists. And of course, those are the people writing these things. What the election of Volodymyr Zelensky means for Ukraine and the wider region. This is from the 9th of May in 2019. On 21 April, Volodymyr Zelensky won the Ukrainian presidential election by a landslide, collecting almost 73% of the vote against incumbent 
Petro Poroshenko. Now, Petro Poroshenko was the guy on recorded phone calls with Joe Biden discussing their mutual corruption. And those calls are publicly out there. You can find them without much trouble. But did that just say 73% of the vote? Well, that's wild. Those are the sort of numbers that dictators in rigged elections get. And there's no reason to believe Ukraine's election was not rigged. They staged multiple color revolutions in Ukraine. They fully put the George Soros election fraud apparatus, better known as our democracy, into Ukraine. So the first question is, is Zelensky even a legitimate president? And the likelihood is that he probably is not. But he's also very likely on some level, a Manchurian candidate that they set up to create this television show that he created himself, produced through his own production company, where he is the heroic president of Ukraine. And then he and his production company created their political party and their political party won sweeping victories. And I I can imagine that the citizens of Ukraine were told by their media that the country had just decided that this was the new step forward. We are entering a new age. This is new blood in our political system. And he's so popular from his television show that everybody just wanted to go out and vote for him. And you can imagine that was probably a pretty easy sell. If you're not paying attention, those sorts of explanations make a lot of sense politically. But if you are paying attention and your culture, your society is paying attention, then those reasons for electing someone don't make any sense at all. It's as silly as when the Democrats say that Joe Biden could have gotten 81 million real legal American votes because everybody just hated Donald Trump so much. Well, that doesn't explain why Donald Trump improved 20% on his results from 2016. That's crazy to believe that. But you might as well also consider whether or not Zelensky is representing the good twin of Ukraine. And maybe this is just a roundabout path to lead the people of Ukraine out from under the malign influence of the global communist state that exists there. Now, is there any proof of that? I'm not sure there is. Okay, but I can make an argument that there is. It is possible that. He is going along with what the global communist element is doing using the United States and Canada and NATO and the European allies as a proxy for their own action. It is possible that he is aligning with all of that to expose just how toothless and silly all of their threats are. And Putin knows his own negotiating position. He has all the oil and gas that supplies them. So he can just turn off Europe almost immediately. There was a report in Reuters yesterday about how the EU is trying to get Ukraine onto their electrical grid as fast as possible. And they just had Zelensky sign on to an application for admittance of Ukraine into the EU yesterday. Admitting Ukraine into the EU would be essentially a reasonable cause for Vladimir Putin to go to war. And these encroachments have been happening in his direction for decades now. What would you want an American president to do if our adversaries were setting up bioweapons labs on our border? 
I think you'd know what you want an American president to do. You know what Donald Trump would do. He would make sure there's no way in hell that ever happened. And you can see that the global communists are trying to do similar things to America. You can watch it right now. They have a slave trade going on at the southern border right now, whose only intent is to make America further succumb to the global communist agenda. They're using these people who come across the border for their political power and for their cheap labor. And they're trafficking drugs and humans to create profit for themselves and for the cartels and to destabilize our country to the point where we eventually just beg for communism or we just give the vote to illegal immigrants that are piling in by the millions. Donald Trump has said at least twice now that he estimates the amount of illegal immigrants that actually came into the United States last year across the southern border could be up to 10 million people. Is he joking? Doesn't sound like it. Is he right? I don't know, but he's not joking. So what would Donald Trump do with that problem that the global communists are inflicting upon America? Well, we know what he did. He started building the wall. And when he comes back into office, I imagine we will see mass deportations, which is sad on some human level. But these people did come here by breaking the law and by paying off some of the worst people in the entire world in the cartels, some of the most evil people in the world. They paid those people off for the privilege of coming into America illegally. They should not have done that. And they likely wouldn't have needed to escape the places they lived and wouldn't have wanted to escape the places they lived if there wasn't such malign influence from the global communists and the cartels already. So if you would expect an American leader to protect the borders and the interests of America in relation to neighboring countries, why would we deny that Vladimir Putin has the same responsibility to the citizens of Russia? He wants to keep a sovereign nation. And as the leader of a sovereign nation, he's allowed to do that. And so if we assume that Vladimir Putin is representing the good twin, then do his current actions mirror that? And I would suggest to you that largely they do. That interpretation does, in fact, map onto reality. You know, as a starting point, the media story does not map onto reality at all. And it gets sillier by the day. It's been five days now since they told us that Kiev would be taken over. And it hasn't been. And I'm sure that there is some very sad and unfortunate loss of civilian life in Ukraine. I have no doubt about that. But he's certainly not targeting civilians, and we're certainly not seeing huge death tolls among civilians. So what is he doing if he is targeting the people of Ukraine like they tell us? Turns out he's not targeting the people of Ukraine. He's targeting specific locations that are strategic assets of the global communists. And if his intent, as stated, is to do exactly that and denazify Ukraine as part of it, If he's attacking the global communists in Ukraine and the global communist corruption in Ukraine, what would that look like? Would it look like all out war? No, of course not. It would look like isolated strikes on strategic targets and probably some level of urban street warfare in order to secure evidence, potentially capture criminals and take out certain targets. 
But the media doesn't discuss any of those goals, anything specific. They don't tell you how his stated goals are disproven by what he's doing in reality. They simply tell you that he is a now insane warlord who does not look like himself and may indeed be someone else. He is attacking the Ukrainian people because he wants to seize the country back the way it was before. Well, that does not seem like what he's doing. And he certainly doesn't say he's doing that. So to believe any part of the media story about how Putin is just unforgivably bad, well, then there would have to be some argument that Vladimir Putin is doing something that actually does aid the global communist agenda. And if you can't find those things and you can't substantiate those claims, then maybe it's time to simply accept that Vladimir Putin may well just be striking against the global communist state as it exists in Ukraine. And he is doing the entire world a massive favor. That is actually possible. Am I sure it's true? No, I'm not sure. I'm not sure of anything because the world as it exists right now is insane. Every bit of media we get is propaganda. We live in an insane censorship regime that is worldwide. The information we can access is restricted by the people trying to destroy everyone. All right. It's not Vladimir Putin that is creating censorship on Twitter in the United States and getting me banned off Twitter and Instagram. It's not Vladimir Putin who's deciding which of the merchandise in my merch store might be offensive to communists and taking it down. And it's certainly not Vladimir Putin who's deciding what our mainstream media is saying. So we can see the evil twin really clearly in so much of our society. Does it then make sense to rely on what the evil twin has told us for the last three decades about Vladimir Putin being an evil warlord or whatever, and just accept that that's true and think, oh, well, yeah, Vladimir Putin's so bad, the media must be right. I would suggest to you that that makes no sense at all. And if you see and interpret what Vladimir Putin is doing, in relation to how it strikes against the global communist state as it exists in Ukraine and worldwide and who he is showing all of these feckless and incompetent leaders to be. Well, then a whole different picture emerges. And so then I would suggest to you that maybe looking through that lens might be more productive in trying to understand this situation than anything else. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, Download the Telegram Messenger app and go to t.me slash I'm Your Moderator. I'm on Gab, Getter, Rumble, and BitChute at I'm Your Moderator. You can find my writing at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com and the merch site is cancelcotour.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the show financially, there is a crypto wallet address in the episode description. 
or go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you again soon out on the ring. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm Your Moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm Your Moderator.substack.com. The merch site is CancelCouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofi. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm Your Moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range.